Hello and welcome back to the EarFuel podcast. As always, I'm Joel Freemark, and you can follow me on Twitter at at GetEarFuel and at The Daily Guru. The podcast is always available in the iTunes and Google Play stores under EarFuel and at GetEarFuel.com. Today, I'm going to discuss three different artists that I feel more people need to know about. Artists that I love that need more love. So, you know, that you can have more music to get into and pass it along to your friends. But before that, a quick album review. The album I want to look at today is the brand new one from De La Soul, and it's called And the Anonymous Nobody. Now, it's been 14 years since the last proper De La record, and if somehow you're not familiar with the trio, they are true hip-hop icons and pioneers. They're best known for really pushing along the evolution of the hip-hop genre into things like jazz rap and the alt-hip-hop genre, and their sampling and lyrics are like that of nobody else. Their 1989 debut album, Three Feet High and Rising, remains an iconic achievement, and this new record was actually funded via Kickstarter, so it's been quite a journey for the trio over the years. At first glance, this is quite an ambitious record. It clocks in at nearly 70 minutes, which is really long for rap, and it features guest spots with Snoop Dogg, 2 Chains, Usher, David Byrne from Talking Heads, Damian Albarn, so many people. Add to that the fact that it's been more than a decade since the trio last recorded, and you have a massive hype machine ready to go. But see, taking that much time away can really hurt any group. It doesn't matter the genre. It's a long time to be out of the studio and working with each other, and it's actually pretty rare that albums like this work as well as you'd hope. Now, ignoring the opening monologue to the album, which I could really do without, one thing that you get on damn near every song is original, exciting, and engaging music. Now, I know it's a bit of a cliche to say that since we're talking about De La Soul, but really, they managed to stretch further than ever before, and this album is chock full of grooves. So many of these songs are so good musically that I'd love an instrumental version of this album. With little offense to the vocals, an instrumental version might even be better, really. The track with Snoop is beyond smooth, and I love how they make the track Greyhounds really dark musically to match the lyrics. And then there are cuts like Drawn, where no MC even appears on the track until nearly five minutes in, and yet it's not a bad thing. The music, regardless of how they're doing it, is just so solid. But maybe it's actually too solid in a way, as it highlights a record of overall weaker lyrics. Comparing the group only to themselves in their previous work, the words here left a lot to be desired, and in some cases, it actually felt a little bit phoned in. Along with that, this record didn't really feel like a De La Soul album. It felt almost like a collection of B-sides from work they've done with other artists, and I mean, I get what they were doing with all the collaborations, but it sort of pushed the actual group identity too far away to be recognizable here. Going even further with that thought, they actually managed to ruin some of the tracks with their presence, like the David Byrne collaboration, Snoopy's. It's so damn good. The song is just perfect. It's moving so great. But when they get to the breakdown section with the rap, it completely throws off the groove and it just sounds awkward. I mean, I like this record. I really do. I'm just not so sure I like it as a De La Soul record. If it were a proper De La record, I'd want far better lyrics and more tracks where it's just the trio making their own sounds, and I feel like it should be a little more cohesive. That being said, this is an absolutely enjoyable record for anyone that digs good music across the musical spectrum, so go make some time and put your ears on it. Moving on. 
people ask me all the time for artists that they might not know that I think they're going to dig, and there's plenty of artists out now and throughout history that really don't get the credit they deserve. So today, I'm going to talk about three different artists that you really need to know, and hopefully you're going to find yourself some new music to dig. So let's get into it. Now, when you think about the Pacific Northwest, what comes to mind in terms of music? Yeah, grunge. For some, maybe Jimi Hendrix if you're a musical overachiever, but for the most part, people associate the entire state of Washington with the grunge scene, and with good reason. Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, all of them hailed from the Seattle area, but what I want to discuss today is possibly the best hip-hop music to come out of the same town, and it's via a duo simply called Blue Scholars. The group formed all the way back in 2002 because, as they put it, two students skipped a class and went and crafted an album. They took on the names Geologic and Sabzi and started releasing singles to the web just a few months later. Their first full-length album was a self-titled release in 2004, and many people cite it as one of the greatest underground hip-hop albums ever, and I very much agree with that sort of cred. And yeah, for those of you again going for extra credit, 2004 is the same year that Mad Villainy dropped. Quite a year for underground hip-hop, right? Now, much of the reason I love these guys is that they balance outrageously original sounds and productions with some of the most thought-provoking and dead-on lyrics you'll find anywhere. So, let's look at the sounds first. From classical and jazz to punk, ska, and more traditional sounds even, Sabzi is always pushing for something new, some sort of new tone to work into the hip-hop world, and he teases everything from Moon River to traditional prayers to reggae sounds to heavy, bouncing bass beats. It's all there. And that's the thing, you never know what's coming next, and yet even with all that sonic diversity, it all fits together perfectly. Whether it's super minimalist or astoundingly full in terms of sound, these guys never do the same sound twice, and there's no question that Sabzi is a truly elite producer. Check it out. The other half is the rhymes from Geologic, also known as Prometheus Brown, and no matter how many times you hear his words, there's always a strong sense of damn to these rhymes. He takes on everything from the local Seattle music scene and politics to worldwide problems and human rights, and he is huge on empowering the youth of the world. There are tons of different takes on ways to uplift the community, and some of the coolest tracks are when he paints these fantastic pictures of his neighborhood on a dark evening. To me, this is sort of getting back to the original intent of hip-hop, where you were able to get different stories, you know, different imagery from different cities and the opposite coasts and, and all the different sounds in hip-hop. It was all about being hyper-local and explaining the issues in your community. It's a bit of a throwback in some ways, but that's not to say the sound and substance aren't as current and modern feeling as they get. I mean... Check this verse from all the way back in 2005. It is so sharp. Yeah, these words are my weapon. Don't think for a second. I will not question. U.S. foreign policy, imperial aggression, inventing war for the quenching of the thirst for the oil. Because money don't trickle down to workers who toil. You see, blood trickle down from... But at the same time, while their lyrics have a clear message almost every time, you can't get past how enjoyable and fun these tracks are. It's truly hip-hop music in every sense of the word, and a reminder of what artistry in the form is all about. I mean, the way these two lock together, it's just, oh, it is so 
awesome, really. You can hear and feel just how perfect a musical pair they are, as regardless of the sonic textures Sobsy lays down, Geologic's rhymes fit perfectly, and it ends in musical bliss from end to end. Now, there are basically three formal Blue Scholars records and four EPs across about a seven-year period, but their self-titled album and Bayani are absolutely my favorites, but you really can't go wrong anywhere in their catalog. Really, it's that good. There are very few groups of any genre that I can say this about, but there's really not a Blue Scholars track out there that I don't like. They bring that level of consistency, and it's one of the main reasons you need to check them out for sure. Now, as a starting point, go to their self-titled record. I think it gives a wide peek into their various sounds, and every song on there is well worth your time. Sadly, there hasn't been anything from Blue Scholars for a few years now, as they're both working on other projects, but they still do shows from time to time, so I guess that leaves hope that somewhere down the road we'll get some new tunes from Blue Scholars. Be sure to give them a spin. Next up, I want to discuss one of my all-time favorite bands and a group that, to this day, more than three decades after the band ended, still fail to get the loads and loads of love they deserve. That band is The Ruts. Now, this is a band that is always one of the first I give to anyone who hasn't heard of them because they manage to speak to such a wide range of musical tastes. Rock, hard rock, punk, ska, protest music, hardcore, and they also have this undeniable appeal to people who dig pop music. The Ruts were definitely a one-of-a-kind band, and you must get into them. Now, The Ruts formed in August of 1977 as the punk scene in the UK was at its height. By this point, the self-titled debut from The Clash had already exploded, The Damned had made their mark, and the full album from The Sex Pistols was just a few months away. So, London was deep into the punk sound. But The Ruts? Well, you can't write them off as just another punk band because they are so far beyond that. We'll get there in a second. Hold on. Before we get to that, it's kind of cool how they came together. Check this out. Guitarist Paul Fox and his school friend, Malcolm Owen, linked up with a guy who worked at a record store and another guy who worked the desk at a post office. The latter two bonded over one of them wearing a Ramones shirt for the first time. No joke. It's about as punk rock as you get, right? So they end up getting together and they start making their own brand of punk rock. And their particular twist on it is that the guitar playing is outright stunning. And the vocals are made to sing and shout along with. And oh, can they write hooks? Damn, can this band write a hook? That's the key. When I said they were more than just punk, this is the band that figured out how to take the punk sound, which can turn a lot of people off, and give it a wider appeal without compromising any of the attitude, intent, or realness. In some ways, you can see the Ruts as the next evolution of punk rock, and it's one of the reasons I love them so damn much. But before we get into the music, because there's plenty to say there, let's address the message and the focus you find all across the catalog of the Ruts. By the time they arrive on the music scene, that so-called mindless, we-don't-care punk thing had already been done to death in a way. We've already seen the Pistols going on about how they can't play their instruments, even though they could. And there are already tons of bands out there writing about dropping out of a society that they don't like. The Ruts were not capable of either of these, as they were incredibly talented musicians. But more importantly, they saw the problems in the world around them and decided to take them head on. Their very first single, In a Rut, is all about the point where you stop feeling sorry for yourself and just get on with life. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get going. And the B-side was an anti-heroin rant called H.I.s. So right out of the gates, it's a band you had to take seriously. 
But again, these songs were nothing short of anthemic, and you had to pump your fist no matter how many times you've heard them. Across their catalog, they've got everything from other anti-drug songs to tracks of solidarity to many, many songs about punk rock's favorite target, the police. Their track, it's called Sus, is one of the best anti-cop songs ever as it directly smashed the so-called sus laws in London at the time, which basically allowed cops to stop anyone under a centuries-old vagrancy act and friskum. We know about that in New York City. And I think we've discussed this song a bit before. It's a classic for sure, and you have to know Sus. But they're also the band that wrote one of the finest punk ska anthems ever in the form of Staring at the Rude Boys. Many, many bands have covered this over the years, but it was the Ruts who wrote it. Here's the song if you don't know it. So yeah, the words are always packed with meaning, and Malcolm's voice is the ideal delivery vehicle for these messages. Now musically, this band really knows no bounds. There's the reggae-infused jaw war, the high-octane power of something that I said, the almost dark groove of It Was Cold. Every single song is a fresh explosion of musical awesomeness, really. There's just this urgency with every song that you can't ignore, and they're more than energizing. They force you to turn up the volume louder and louder. They're just those sorts of songs. Now, Paul Fox is one of the forgotten guitar greats, as he absolutely rips on every single song. The tone is spot on, and it has all that angst you want, but he can play too, and and far beyond pretty much any of his punk counterparts at the time. The riffs and the solos, I mean, I mean this is punk rock with solos. Those rarely go together. Just just check out the song West One Shine On Me and you'll completely understand how he brings both worlds together. Paul Fox is just outstanding. It's his playing that brings much of the electric feel to these songs and they just they blast out of the speakers and put a smile on your face and your fist in the air. But that's not to say the rhythm section isn't equally impressive because they are. They can push things into top gear just as brilliantly as creating a chilled out dub style song and they're able to create this almost imposing feel that I can never get enough of. So amazing guitar work, killer rhythm section, the ideal vocalist, solid writing, amazing lyrics, ripping songs. There's really only one thing about the Ruts that really, really, really sucks. They only have one record. There's a few compilation releases out there in different forms, but in the time that Malcolm Owen was still alive, they only made a single album, but oh. It is such an amazing record. Some people might call it flawless. That record is called The Crack, and it was released back in 1979 with one of the coolest album covers ever. It's a painting that features the group in the midst of a party, and at that party are the likes of Jimi Hendrix and John Peel, along with fellow London punk icons Jimmy Percy from the band Sham 69, Captain Sensible and Rat Scabies from The Damned, and many others. And I'll tell you, even if you don't know the folks in the painting, it's still pretty cool to look at. The second quote-unquote album is actually a compilation of B-sides and singles, and it's called Grin and Barrett. It came out in December of 1980, I think, and that was just a few months after Malcolm Owen had died of a heroin overdose. Now, some do see it as the second Ruts record, and believe me, it's ridiculously great, but it's really more of a compilation than a formal release. Regardless, you need both The Crack and Grin and Barrett in your weekly rotation. Trust me on this. The Ruts are a band just waiting for you to fall in love with them. Go check them out, turn it up, and enjoy.
The last artist that I want to discuss because they need way more love than they get is one of my favorite voices of the past few decades and the woman behind what I felt was the best album of 2012, and that is Estero. Now, you may not know her name offhand, but you no doubt know her voice as she's been on tracks by everyone from Kanye West, Most Def, and Timbaland to Blue Man Group, Nelly Furtado, and <clears throat> Black Eyed Peas. <clears throat> Stretching even further, you'll find her voice alongside Saul Williams, Sean Lennon, CeeLo Green. The list really goes on and on, and it never hurts to get name checked in a track by Talib Kulib. Anyway, there's a reason musicians from across the spectrum want to work with Estero, and that's because she possesses a sound and style unlike that of any other singer around. So let's start there. The sonic diversity you find throughout all of her work. She has three albums, each spaced seven years apart, and they explore very different musical sounds. Her 1998 debut, Breath from Another, is rooted in trip-hop and ambient electronic sounds. The production from Doc McKinney is fantastic from beginning to end, and many consider this record to be a trip-hop classic. And it is. Songs like Lounge and Superheroes have a depth that's just... Ugh. You can feel the world fall away as you drift along to the beat and her voice. And then there's moments like Half a World Away or Country Livin' that speed things up without interrupting the feel or the flow of the album. From beginning to end, Breath from Another is timeless, and if you dig Portishead or Massive Attack or really any good chilled-out sounds, you need this one. Trust me. So seven years later, 2005, Estero drops her Wicked Little Girls album, and it comes with one of the most righteous album openers ever and served as a clear message that she could excel in any musical style. Here, check it out. The opening notes to the album. I'm so sick and tired of the shit on the radio and MTV. They only play the same thing no matter where I go. I see a shanty in the video. I want something more. Right? How can you not feel that? Seriously. This record is filled with club anthems, steamy songs for setting the mood, and a peek inside her innermost feelings on songs like Every Day is a Holiday and Gone. But there are also moments of sheer fun, like the title track, and for me, I always get this strong nod to the music of Prince all over this album, and in a good way. It's got grooves and funk, and this is where you find an attitude and a confidence that was really missing from her debut. It's an empowering record, and she shows that as you get a bit of a whirlwind of stories and notes. There are touches of the sound from her first album, but this is clearly a labor of love and a far more personal album, and that, for me, makes it all the better. But then in 2012, it all came together on her self-released third album, Everything is Expensive. To me, this album finds the ideal balance in every element of her musical personality, as well as offering more depth and emotion than her previous releases. This is where you get let in maybe completely, and it finds the balance between being vulnerable and yet fierce, both in the lyrics and how her voice works across the dozen tracks. There are clear nods to her first two records here, but it has everything from blissed out electronic moments to club anthems to heartwarming acoustic pieces and, oh, a full-on rock opera bit. I mean, really, the song Francis would have fit perfectly in the Queen catalog in terms of the music. 
She offers everything from the best breakup track in the form of You Don't Get a Song to one of my favorite songs to inspire and motivate, the track called Go, and a blissfully chilled out number in the title track. It's all here, and her voice sounds stronger than ever, but more importantly, it sounds more comfortable than ever. That's what it all comes down to with Astero, the voice. Whether she's incorporating elements of jazz, hip-hop, electronica, soul, R&B, rock, whatever... Her voice is always what ties it all together and makes it far beyond anything else out there. She can bring a tear to your eye with a delicate note just as easily as make you crank it up all the way and sing along, and the ability to work across that wide a range is rarely achieved. Wherever she's following her musical muse, it always sounds natural, and with her lyrics, she's able to capture the most raw of human emotions and allow each listener to find it somewhere in themselves. It's really beyond difficult to find any artist from any genre or era who has three different records that can easily stand on their own as unique musical works, but also work together as a complete body of work, and Estero is one of them. The albums don't all sound the same in a good way, but they manage to work perfectly if you throw the iPod on shuffle. Trust me on that. She, to me, is one of the most talented and intriguing voices in music today, and I only hope that we don't have to wait until 2019 before we get a new batch of tunes from Astero. Go get your listen on. So yeah, there are tons of artists out there who more people really need to know about. These great artists that just don't get the credibility or the exposure or the spotlight for whatever reason that make amazing music. And throughout the months and years to come, I'm going to take some time from time to time to put a spotlight on some of my favorites so that these amazing artists can maybe get a little more of the credit that they absolutely deserve. Now, before we wrap the episode, I do, of course, have your weekly Ear Fuel listening assignment. For those of you new to the podcast, each week I assign an album to listen to in full, beginning to end, without any distractions or interruptions. It stems from the fact that these days, music has been largely relegated to a background task. You're at the gym, you're at work, you're driving, whatever. And this assignment is about taking some time each week to consciously listen to music for the sake of the music alone. Now, this week, well... It's going to be easy. I've given you three artists that more people really need to be exposed to, so go grab one of those albums and play it beginning to end. Thank me later. Once you've listened to it, make sure to hit me on Twitter at at GetEarFuel or at TheDailyGuru and let me know what you picked and how much you enjoyed it. So that's all for this week. As always, the podcast is available in the iTunes and Google Play stores under EarFuel, along with at GetEarFuel.com. That is your weekly EarFuel. Share and enjoy. (laughs) 